we have a schedule for the frontier league we have a player of the year and we have an interview all of this and more on this week's episode of the indie ball report podcast We're back again, episode number 143 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick, he's Will, and uh, we got an interview this week. We got Frontier League schedules, we got extensions, we got player of the year, we got a surprisingly uh, good amount of things, all things considered, for the first week of December. Yeah, yeah, I think there, I think there's uh, some decent stuff to talk about, and a great uh, interview that we had with Albert Gonzalez that I'm I'm excited for everyone to hear because it, it was really fun to conduct. I, I think uh, I think it went really well. So excited to get going. Oh, absolutely! It really is a fun interview, and you guys are gonna enjoy hearing that in the second half of the episode today. So uh, we might as well just get started with the news, so that way we can get to that interview uh, fair fairly quickly. But uh, the first thing up for the day, it definitely does warrant time to talk about. So we're gonna. Kick it off with that. Uh, the Frontier League announced their schedule this past week. It was on Monday, and uh, it was pretty much what we expected for the for the general part. Ninety six games, uh, two eighteen conferences. Inside those conferences are another two divisions of four teams each. Uh, I had a little bit of a difficult time understanding why the divisions matter because, as we'll get to in a minute, the divisions really don't play much of an effect in the postseason. So I was wondering why that was. I think they exist more or less for uh, for really scheduling purposes because three to four of your series are going to be against your divisional opponents. So you figure you're playing somewhere between nine to twelve games against uh, your each team in your division. So that takes about half of your schedule off the bat. Um, so that's why I think they ex- the divisions exist as far as postseason. Uh, we do have a new postseason structure. We have a wild card, which is something that I'm sure, uh, Will, you're going to be in agreement with me on, is a nice addition. It's something that we saw in the American Association last year when we were both fans of, so glad to see that added in. Um, so there's a one-game wild card and then a best-of-three second round and a best-of-five championship. Uh, wild card is going to be between the second and third-place teams in the conference with the division winner having a buy into that second round playing the wild card winner obviously in round two <clears throat> and then obviously the winners of round two go on to the championship uh, matchup there uh season will begin on may the 12th it will end on september the 4th playoffs start on the 6th then round two will begin on the 8th and then the championship on the 13th they can end at the earliest on the 16th of september and end at the latest at the 18th of September. Uh, then just quickly going over the conferences and the division structure before we start to dive into each of these things. Uh, Midwest Conference is made up of the Central Division, which is Gateway, Windy City, Joliet, and Schaumburg. And then the West Division, Evansville, Florence, Lake Erie, and Washington. Over on the other side, the Can-Am Conference, uh, you have the Atlantic Division, which is Quebec, Ottawa, Trois-Rivières, and the Frontier Grays. Yes, we have a traveling team, as we know. We didn't manage to get that expansion team in, and uh, there is no other team moving out, and they couldn't find another team coming in. 
And with Southern Illinois' departure, they needed to fill that gap. So it's a traveling team, at least for this year. I don't imagine they're there next year, but it does give you a little bit more time to try and work out something more permanent there. Uh, the Northeast is the other division in the Can-Am Conference, and then it has New York, Sussex County, New Jersey, and Tri-City. Uh, I gotta say, I do like the divisional structures. Everything does seem to be fairly uh, well organized geographically. It really is more like a west and an east kind of setup there, and then the north and the south is so looks like in the Can-Am, and then on the flip side, an uh, east and a west. Furthermore, in the Midwest Conference, technically, but it's more like the West Conference. So overall, just uh, I guess first impact or first impression. Yeah, I'm a lot. I'm a lot bigger fan of how the Frontier League is doing this this year as opposed to last year. Mm-hmm. Of course, last year, I think I, I you can understand the, um, for example, the, the need for regionalized play yeah. and pretty much everything uh, within uh, so many games within your own division. Although I think we've been looking forward, and I, I think I can speak for you as well, Nick, when I say that we've been looking forward to this Frontier League season for a while. Uh, when it's when every it's pretty much everyone, and of course we didn't anticipate uh, Southern Illinois's departure, yeah. and um, and so that that's certainly not great. But for the most part, I mean, this is this is as good as you're gonna get with like uh, with you know the divisions being divisions being able to play uh, or conferences, I should say, yeah. being able to play each other. Um, a decent amount, and I think that's certainly a good thing. Um, I love the I love the playoff structure. I was a big fan of how uh, I was. A, I was a really big fan of how that worked in the American Association last year. I thought it worked out really well. Um, so yeah. I'm glad to see that in the Frontier League this year, for sure. And and I like the idea just that. Um, it, it has it does give those teams a chance that we don't have a situation like we did last season uh, between between Florence and Evansville where one of those teams gets knocked out or uh, does not make the playoffs despite the fact they have one of the best records in the league just because it's just well you either win your division or you don't tough shit so I, I'm I, I'm a big fan I love the playoff structure and I, I'm very much looking forward. To seeing like back to normal traveling in the Frontier League, of course, having a traveling team is never ideal. Uh, yeah. But given the the sudden departure of Southern Illinois, the Frontier League didn't really have another option. That's kind of the only thing they could do. Uh, but I, overall, very happy with it. I uh, love the playoff structure. I think that's. Good. I think the fans are really going to enjoy that. Uh, and I think the fans are also really going to enjoy um, seeing these new teams come to town. Really, for while some teams went out, uh, while some of the Can-Am teams went out west for a series or so, or like last season, I think this real Frontier League season, uh, in the sense that we can hopefully this is one we can get really used to. I think that's exciting. I think that's really exciting, and that's what I'm looking forward to. And I think I think the fans are as well. Oh, absolutely! I think that getting to see this new uh, Frontier League in its actual glory is nice. Uh, you mentioned, you know, like 
Southern Illinois suddenly leaving was not anything I think that was really expected, at least not when everything came together here. And I personally, I would love to see someone else take over that ballpark and just put a team right back there. It yeah. clearly worked. Uh, but without that being in the immediate plans, yeah, it is nice. I went ahead and I kind of looked to see how the playoffs would have worked under this structure last year. And seeing as Washington would have moved over, it would have been Washington, Evansville, and Florence on the uh, Midwest side. And then on the Can-Am side, it would have been technically Quebec, but it's really hard because, I mean, Quebec or Kip Quebec was really kind of like essentially the whole Atlantic division <laughs> kind of merged into one team. So it made it kind of hard to say. So just let's just say Quebec for the sake of argument. And then it would have been a the wild card between Sussex County and Tri-City, which I imagine how much fun that would have been. Just so, so much fun. Because Sussex County would have had to go to Tri-City. And, oh, man, that, that would have been a really fun matchup there. And surprisingly enough, like Florence still would have won their division. They would have won the bye, and that would have been that. But Washington coming in at that 56-game uh, win mark would have played Evansville for that wild card, which would have meant our actual like champion of the league, Schomburg, would have been left on the outside looking in still, which obviously, yeah. you know, you can have, you know, some doubt about that. But at the end of the day, as far as regular season performance goes, I thought that was pretty fair. I mean, like, yeah, there's an argument to be made, but all in all, in this case here, I still like it. Um, you still do get the really the best teams from each conference to go through here. And obviously, when you have something like a 16-team league, I think that's a little bit too big to do what I think it was last week or the week before I mentioned where I was like, well, why don't we just get rid of divisions entirely? I think that works only when there's like 12 or fewer teams. Once you start hitting like 16, it's like, okay, that's... that's Yeah, I agree. It can't really work. I think you can make it work on with 12 or, frankly, I think under 10 or even 8 teams would be like the perfect time to do that. But that's a different argument for a different time. Um yeah, I love the wild card. I love the whole playoff setup. I think everything's pretty nice here, and I definitely am looking forward to seeing all these different teams come through uh, this whole greater tri-state area, at least because, you know, we've never seen a Schaumburg. We haven't seen a Joel yet. We haven't seen right. a Gateway, all these different teams here. And, I mean, Schaumburg's one of the first teams to actually come through. The Boulder's open against them, actually. So I'm looking forward to really seeing that. I'm looking forward to seeing who comes through Sussex County, who's going to come through New Jersey and all that. And, uh, yeah, I really do like, uh, how all this is set up. I think it's going to be a really fun season. Plus we get an all-star game back. Now, I again don't know where that is. They didn't announce that. It's July 18th through 21st. Uh, I don't imagine New York's going to host it again. They, Last time there was like a Frontier League All-Star game, New York did technically host it, even though they weren't in the Frontier League yet. So yeah. I I think probably Florence, if I remember right, they were supposed to get it in 20, and then they didn't get it. Or it was Washington that was supposed to get it and didn't get it. I don't remember the exact team. I'm thinking back, I think it was Washington now, because there was a debate between going to that one and going to the one in Southern Maryland. So... I would kind of peg them as the clubhouse leader to get it, but it's probably a matter of scheduling that needs to be worked out, and they'll figure that out when we get close to the season. But, uh, yeah, I think we're, unless you got anything else to talk about with the actual Frontier League schedule and the makeup of the league, I think we're pretty well set on it. I think we can move on. 
I think we're yeah, I think we're pretty much good. All right, then. So we'll move on to the last piece of Frontier League news for the week, and that is Wild Things have extended their first year skipper Tom Vaith is a four year extension, and he managed to take a team that was I believe nineteen and thirty at the uh, All-Star break, or not All-Star break, but the 4th of July break, as it were, and uh, turned them into a team that got one win away from a championship in his first year here. It seemed like a pretty obvious decision to extend him after that kind of success. Uh, I, I think he's done a fair job. I mean, it's hard to argue with the first-year results. I mean, you could get on for not winning a championship, but uh, I think that's a... A bit hard to blame a team for not winning a championship. I think once you kind of get yourself to the dance, anything can happen. So uh, I do like the extension. I think it's definitely a positive. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's funny. You don't really see like a four-year like extension in indie ball because yeah. uh, the contracts are usually a lot more short-term. Like Certainly you see extensions, but maybe two, maybe three years. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it's very rare you see a four-year extension for for any indie ball manager, really. And so, and I think that just shows the faith that um, that the Wild Things have in Tom Vaith, and they should, uh, because I mean, the turnaround that the Wild Things were able to have last year was nothing short of remarkable. And just where where they were, uh, and and re- really like I believe what they were like third. I think you brought up. Uh, I remember like. Yeah, so like, I mean, they started 13 and 20 even. Uh, and I mean, the fact that they were able to come all the way back and upset, uh, I say upset Sussex County in the sense that eventually taking the lead from them. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, just the, the, the job that he did, uh, helping, keeping that team afloat making those changes in the second half of the season that really helped them uh, and pushed them all the way to the championship series. I mean, uh, he did, he did a great job. Uh, he did a great job and this contract extension certainly deserved uh, for one of the better managers in the frontier league. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Plus he's, he's been around and he ball for a while. I believe he was the hitting coach for Winnipeg for quite some time as well. He knows what he's doing. I think, uh, by and large, it's a pretty solid deal there. Like you said, the four years is something that's not really normal. It's normally just kind of like a, a one year deal. And then for a lot of guys, it's just like kind of a foregone conclusion that, you know, it's going to be an extension there. I think the only one that was kind of comparable, Joe Coach Pietra earlier in the offseason, I think he got a four year one as well. He may have been three years even. Uh, looking back here real quick to see if I can't I find it. Was it was three. Was it three? I can't remember. I it was three or four. You're right. It was three years. So, I mean, if Joe Couchbianco only gets three and now, uh, Tom Vaith is going to vote of confidence with four, I think that says an awful lot. Um, but yeah, overall, I don't really think there's too much more to go in on it. It's just a solid extension. Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, good decision. Interested to see what, and, Interested to see what he does within this next contract. Maybe he brings a title. We'll have to see. Yeah, hopefully for them. I mean, I believe it was seven trips to a uh, Frontier League championship, and they have yet to actually win one in Washington. They won one the first year they were in existence in, like, Canton, Ohio. And then uh, when they moved to Pennsylvania, seven cha- seven 
I guess it would be division titles or conference championships, but never an actual uh, league championship. Kind of like the Jackals were for a while in like the Can-Am League, and they just had True. this massive drought, and hopefully they can't break it. But uh, last piece of news we have before going to our interview uh, is... Adam Brett Walker, unsurprisingly, might I add, uh, named Baseball America's Partner League Player of the Year. Still hearing Partner League is not, it doesn't sit right. Like, it's still confusing to me to hear that. Yeah. Like, you know, it, not, not, still not a fan of it. Yeah. I, just say independent league. I understand there's a, there's a difference technically between partnered and unpartnered league, but it, it just goes independent. Yeah. I mean, while, while I'm not a fan of, uh, while I'm not a fan at all of the, uh, of, of the term partner league, you know what I am a fan of? What are you a fan Adam of? Bre- Adam Brett Walker. Oh, I mean, how can you not be? The guy hits uh, um, an American Association record 33 home runs, a slash line of 320, 369, and then 636. I mean, the, the dude's unbelievable. Nuts. That is nuts. Like, I mean, a slugging 636 over a full season is... Over over a hundred games, it's like absolutely obscene. I, I still want to know how nobody picked him up. Like, how is he still a free agent? The dude's unbelievable. He can yeah. hit for power. He can hit for average. He's an all around player. Like, yeah, he can I run. Get, yeah, that's the thing. He has twenty four of twenty six. Yeah, that's pretty solid. Yeah, like he's he's the kind of guy where you have to keep your eye on him. He, he's not going to be you know stealing a bunch, but I mean that's a solid number. He can stretch out a, a single into a double, but like again, he's what about thirty or so right now? So yes, he is thirty. Yeah, so you probably he's probably looking at like the AAA level if he's going to have success there and still have a shot at the majors. But I mean, like he clearly can hit. He clearly is good enough to be in the field. I I just think he's worth a shot in AAA. You know, because I mean, just think of it like this: if you pick him up and he doesn't translate that success. It costs you next to nothing. Right. You know? So, I mean, like, I just, I, it boggles my mind that after, you know, really two years of really solid success, that he can't, you know, get a contract anywhere. I mean, hell, in the uh, Baseball America article that we linked in the show notes, it even said in 2019, he hit 22 home runs with the sports hernia, which is honestly almost as impressive as this. Yeah. I mean, like, God, the dude's unbelievable. He really is. Yeah, so as far as the award itself, there really wasn't a contest. This yeah. is definitely the right decision. Uh, there was pretty much one candidate for this position, I think, literally everyone, yeah. who, who followed all of Indy Ball this year, like, can, agrees Adam Brett Walker was the best player in all of Indy Ball this year. Um, yeah. That being said, on the second point, um, I, I think that what I was really impressed with and what I was hoping would get him picked up um, was because, of course, he has he has had his seasons in the, in the past where he struck out a lot. Mm. He cut down on those a lot this year. Mm. Um, and essentially, like he never had a year where he's hit 320. Never. Like, uh, he, he's had years where he, he hits 250, and like, the power's always been there. So that's yeah. never that's never been so much a question. But... He was able to cut down on the strikeouts, uh, and, and still being able to hit, to hit for average as well. Uh, I mean, he is the whole package on offense. I mean, uh, maybe, maybe it's a defensive thing, uh, but 
I, I really think that his bat is good enough to play at the AAA level. Or at the very least, you know, I'd love to see him get a shot in Mexico. Yeah, that's um, another surprising thing that, you know, overseas is not an option. Yeah, I, I'd be surprised. I, I, I really would love to see him get a shot in Mexico, maybe Taiwan or uh, or even even Japan or uh, Japan or Korea, if that's possible, too. Yeah. But I think that uh, I think his bat can definitely, definitely play. Uh, and, and he's definitely the best player that we have in, in independent league baseball at the moment. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping that at some point that that opportunity materializes. But if not, he will continue to wreck uh, in the American Association. Absolutely there. I'd love to get Adam on the show. I think he'd be a really fun guy to talk to and, and to go through oh, yeah. with. But uh, great. Yeah, I agree 100% he should have won this. And it's you know great to see it. And traditionally, if you win this award, you get picked up long, not long thereafter. I believe the last person to officially get the award was Jordani Valdespin from Long Island because we didn't get one in 2020. But uh, that said, the one thing I would say is if you were forced to pick someone other than him, the only other like two names that kind of come to mind would probably be Baldequin and then, you know, Daryl Thompson, who's an angel's wonder. And I don't understand how he does what he does, especially this year in particular in the Atlantic League with the sheer amount of offense there. Those are the really the only other two guys I could think of. If, uh, if Hernandez was with KC for a little bit longer than he was before he got picked up by Cincinnati, I would have said mm-hmm. maybe him because he was doing pretty good as well. But I still think Brett Walker was kind of like, I don't want to say the wire to wire MVP, but pretty damn close to it. Right. You know, so. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah I think that, uh, you could make a case for those guys, but I think that, um, I, I don't know. Like I think I, I think kind of Brett Walker still was uh, was the guy, um, and so I, I think at the end of the day, the right the right decision was made for this award, and you know just continue yeah. to reward him. And I think uh, would you say he'd be on the cover of uh, independent independent league baseball twenty uh, two? Do you mean I have to make another cover? I think I think we do. All right, it was such a hit. We had, but then again, like. Oh, I'm trying to think of how you could make it different this time. Though. Oh, I sure. Make it different. Oh, believe me, I can make it different. I cover art's easy enough to do. It's just, yeah. yeah. You know, what's a shame about that too is after this, we'll we'll jump on to the interview. But there's the guys that I'd love to use, but using their picture would be like a pain because of you know issues. But uh, yeah, you know exactly which player I want to put on the cover, and I can't, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Then everyone listening knows. So, like, I'd love to put them on there. That or, like, <laughs> do up a Legacy Edition and it's just Lou Ford on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> like, that that would be fun. But, you know, I guess uh, I'll work on that over the uh, over the course of the month. We'll get that out fairly soon then. But, yeah, I wasn't planning on going back-to-back years with Adam Britt Walker on the cover. But after a year like that, I mean, it's hard to argue somebody else should be there so right you know uh so with that that does it for the news section 
but it's only getting started with this show because now you're going to have about an hour long interview here. Uh, we got in touch and set up an interview with uh, Albert Gonzalez, the bullpen catcher uh, for the High Point Rockers. Really fascinating guy. Really good interview. Uh, he talks really about the whole journey he's had uh, from when he was, you know, playing professional baseball in Puerto Rico all the way up until now. And he, you know, he touches on a lot of really interesting things. I do want to thank Chris Jones for sending him our way because he had sent me a text saying, hey, I was talking to this guy at the game. You, He's an interesting guy. Do you want to have him on the show? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And I didn't really know what to expect. And he definitely uh, did deliver. So thanks for throwing him our way. But yeah, as far as AP goes, he he's a really fascinating guy. I really liked uh, just everything he brought, the whole energy that he brought. And when he talked about that relationship with between him and Jamie Keefe, I think that was really, really kind of a special thing to talk about there. Agreed. I think that was that was one of my favorite parts uh, of the interview too. You could tell that the impact that Jamie Keefe has has really had uh, on his career, his life. But you know, there's so many. Th- I mean, there's so many things we get into in the, in this interview. It's just like, uh, and of course, him managing in two places in the tw- during oh, the yeah. 2020 season, winning a championship in one, uh, it, rep- like jumping on to being a manager to a team halfway through. I mean, there's just it, it, that year was whole. It was really just madness, and I, uh, uh, and yeah. I, I don't want to give too much away, but yeah. really looking forward to it. Oh, absolutely! That in the uh, <clears throat> that in the Monroe College bit too, I thought was really cool. Uh, but we're getting a little ahead of ourselves right now, so we'll uh, we'll turn it over to our interview now with High Point Rocker bullpen catcher Albert Gonzalez. All right, we are back again, picking up our interview series. Uh, this week, we come back to you again with another coach, a guy that's been around independent league baseball for some time, been around pro ball for some time, has experience working with a wide variety of players. This week, we welcome to the show the bullpen coach for the High Point Rockers, Albert Burt Gonzalez. How are you doing today? Hey guys, I'm doing well. Thank you guys for having me. This has been, this is awesome. I mean, I've been a fan of this podcast for a long time, so this is pretty special and I'm, I'm really excited to be on here. So thank you. Oh, the pleasure is all ours. We are thrilled to have you on. We always love talking to, to coaches and everybody. And, uh, we certainly, uh, love all the guys over in Hype Point. I mean, I think your organization's been the most frequent guest on the show. I mean, yeah, I mean, what a, what a blessing it's been being at Hype Point. What a great organization it's been and just, being able to learn from guys like Jamie Keefe and Frank Viola, Billy Horn, you know, even throwing Bubber Bird's arm. These guys are all legends in my eyes, and just being a part of it has been really special. Yeah, I, I can imagine. I mean, especially with Jamie, you guys have been uh, together on a coaching staff for quite some time between uh, Rockland and now High Point. So that's. Oh, uh, yeah. We're, this is, uh, yep. We're going on uh, year seven now, which has just been crazy. And just the fact that he's able to. You know, bring me along has just been so special, and you know, I I owe everything to him, my whole career to him, and uh, you know, give me a chance, and and here we are today. Yeah, no, definitely. So we're definitely going to get to where we are today. We're going to get to how we got to this point, though. First, and I guess we're going to start by picking up uh, kind of towards the beginning here, which is uh, when you had first played Division One baseball. That that's correct. Yes. Yep. Uh, so High Point University, which is a uh, Small world, and I'm back in High Point. I mean, <laughs> yeah. just 
just so happened to be that way. You know, the Rockers weren't weren't here when uh when I was in college, but uh yeah, that's where it all started. Uh, you know, it was a it's a great experience. Uh, you know, great school. I had great education. Um, you know, I, I eventually got cut from the baseball team there, uh, mm-hmm. which is you know another part of the the crazy journey that I've been on. Uh, yeah. But I've been fortunate enough to you know come back and uh, you know I was asked to uh, to help coach the the, uh, the catchers there this season and uh, this off season and it's just been what a full circle that's been and uh, yeah that's where that's where it all started. Uh, awesome. And then from there, if I remember right, looking through and doing the whole like pre-interview research, and then you went and you played a couple of years of professional baseball in uh, overseas. So I believe it was Puerto Rico is where I had seen and then a little bit in Spain. Uh, maybe tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, another thing, just an uh, unbelievable opportunity. I never, never imagined that I would be, uh, you know, playing professional baseball, but the opportunity presented itself and, uh, I was able to go down to Puerto Rico, uh, where my family is from. So that was pretty special. You know, I went down there as a kid a lot and I, yeah. I watched a lot of those games and just dreaming to be a part of it. Uh, and then, you know, luckily from there, I was able to sign for uh, a year out in Spain. And, uh, I mean, what a tremendous experience that was, you know, put, uh, playing out there in Europe. I never even imagined being out in Europe, but the baseball, it was, it was great competition out there, great stadiums. I mean, just a beautiful experience. And, uh, yeah, it really, uh, really solidified my, my career in knowing that I'm going to be in baseball. Yeah, I, I just kind of want to ask about that. Like, what's that kind of whole baseball culture like both in Puerto yeah. Rico and in Spain? I mean, obviously, Puerto Rico's got a very big baseball mm-hmm. culture, and they have a huge tradition of turning out amazing players and, and the whole nine with that. But especially with Spain is where I'm interested because you don't really think of Spain and Europe as a whole, really, as this kind of hotbed of baseball kind of interest and passion. So I was wondering if you could just go a little bit into what it's like actually just playing there as opposed to, you know, say, North America in general. Because, I mean, obviously we only know uh, what it's like to be in baseball in in, uh, the United States. So I was just wondering if we could get a little bit more of a perspective on all that. Yeah, well, uh, you know, obviously in Puerto Rico, like you said, they have the, the, uh, tradition there. So that, that was easy to come by. The tradition is always there. You know, they had all the stadiums and, and everything. But in, in Spain, it was completely different. It's, uh, the game is definitely on the rise of, over there. And it was growing as I was over there. Um, the league itself, uh, you know, it was made up of a lot of, you know, former independent guys, uh, low level minor league guys. Um, and it was more so the, uh, you know, Venezuelan, Dominican and Cuban culture that would go out there, uh, especially because it's the same language once they're playing careers over here in, in the, uh, United States. And, uh, that's how they were able to grow that league out there. Um, but the stadiums and everything out there, it was beautiful. A lot of them were, were left over from the 1992 Olympic uh, games, which was, uh, pretty cool. And, uh, so they had a lot of history to it. And, uh, you know, but out there it was, you know, it was, it was more relaxed. You, you would play, uh, we played weekend series. So yeah. during the week we were able to really travel and, and, and see the culture and see the, see the country. And, uh, you know, baseball was more secondary, if anything. Uh, yeah. but it still it was a great experience and, and the talent level was, was pretty good. You know, I was facing a lot of guys that the year prior were in the world baseball classic for, for team Spain, which was pretty special. And, uh, yeah. you know, a lot of, like I said, uh, minor league guys, former minor league guys, but, what I always say, if you're going to choose to go to Europe, that's probably where your career is going to end. But what a what a great way for it to end because you're just going to have a blast out there. 
Yeah, I've, I've heard from a lot of guys that went out and played in Europe, a few in Germany, a lot in like Italy and that whole general region. They all say the same thing where it's this like just kind of almost surreal experience of you're playing uh, in these nice stadiums and you just have like the best backdrop and the best time just kind of being there. And like you said, normally that's kind of the end of the line for a lot of these guys, but it's still, it, it just sounds like an amazing experience, especially when you're playing guys that played on a national level too. I, I just imagine that was a great, great experience to have. Absolutely. Yeah. It was just so cool. And, and you know, just like you said, it's just a great way for you to have some kind of closure for your career. And in terms of going out there and really, just having a blast playing baseball again. Cause, you know, once you get to a pretty high level, especially college and minor league ball, you know, there, there's a lot of stress level to it. And sometimes mm-hmm. we forget how fun the game can be. And, and when we go out there, it's a, it's a lot less stressful. And, you know, you, you really do have a lot of fun while you're, while you're out there playing. Yeah, absolutely there. So before I start diving into the, the coaching career that you've had so far, I want to give Will a chance to jump in here and say anything he said. I don't want to monopolize all the time here. So, uh, sure. So. I think just the the one thing I want to touch on before before talking about uh, your coaching and, and your managerial career a little bit is so you said you got cut for, from your from your baseball team at, at High Point U. So how were you able to really take that and still be able to end up playing professional baseball? I know how you mentioned uh, that that you were extremely fortunate to still be able to play professional baseball after but how were you able to just even take that take being cut from the team the uh, the high point you uh, baseball team and still churn out a, a professional baseball career despite that well you know obviously when when all that went down it was, it was pretty devastating but uh you know i i love the game i took uh you know i took getting cut from the team i took a a solid year off of, of baseball and at that time i had just lost my dad at that time so i was going through a lot personally um, but at the end of the day, I, I always loved baseball. I always had a talent for it. And, uh, I ended up playing in a summer collegiate league by my house in, uh, in New York, uh, one of the summers there. And I actually turned out to have a really good, um, season, which turned into that, having that opportunity to go to, to Puerto Rico. And, and here I was, you know, being cut from a team one year to the next year being a professional. It was, it was pretty, pretty exciting and just, it was surreal, um, but also a lot of it had to do with I was at the right place at the right time. I truly believe that, and uh, you know, I got pretty lucky. It doesn't it doesn't happen to too many people, and and I know that and I'm pretty humbled by that. Um, so I just take every experience, uh, you know, and every opportunity, and and I just run with it and, and see where it takes me. And uh, you know, it's it's a great story, and uh, you know, I'm just you know, it made me a better person, a, a stronger person uh, for sure. I didn't cut and uh, and having to claw back and fight back. Uh, that, that, that's pretty awesome, and you're, and you're right. It's definitely not definitely not a story you you hear too often. Even in indie ball guys getting cut from college and uh, ending up playing professional baseball. But kind of switching to to the coaching end of things. So uh, like during your professional, when you were playing uh, professionally, uh, wherever it might have been, when did you kind of know? that uh that coaching was something you wanted to get into or did, was it kind of just an opportunity that just that just sprung up and you just took the opportunity and said yes well it was it was a little bit of both um you know i always had a knack for it uh you know stepping into high school years you know i was the captain of the team i always had that leadership skill uh, and i knew i knew moving forward that my story would, would uh you know would catch some eyes and, and i could utilize my story into making 
you know, the next generation a little better and make it a little easier for them uh, moving forward. Um, but out in Spain, you know, uh, part of uh, the way I got paid out there was to coach their youth program. And I really started to enjoy it. I started to see kids, uh, you know, show their passion for the game and, and see them improving. And, and it, it became addicting. And, uh, you know, even from, from there, uh, I never imagined uh, coaching anybody. I mean, that just wasn't even an option for me. That This was something that maybe I would be a, a high school coach or, or maybe a low-level college coach. Uh, but, you know, little little by little, um, you know, I, I just started getting little opportunities here and, and you know, just work as hard as I could. And, and uh, you know, more opportunities just kept coming by. And, and it was just a little bit of both. It was a little bit of this is something that I really love. But also, you know, these opportunities kept coming by and I, I was just going to take them. Okay, and I, and I know before I get it, because I, I have a lot of questions about that that 2020 summer that was just madness. I think for everybody, and certainly, yes. and certainly for for you as well. But I, I don't I don't want to skip over any parts. So Nick, I think if you wanted to ask some um, questions, really before that, get, before getting into that 2020 summer, I think that'd be good. Uh, yeah, so definitely. So I want to kind of just start at the beginning of the college career and the high school coaching career. And I noticed that you started mainly as an assistant coach with, uh, with Yeshiva University in New York and then Rampo High School in, I assume that'd be the Rampo, New Jersey. So I was just kind of wondering what was almost the difference between coaching a high school team and coaching a college level team and, uh, what kind of experience you kind of drew away from that. Because obviously the two groups are, they're similar in some ways, but when you're dealing with college players, you're dealing with more mature players both on and off the field as opposed to a high school team where perhaps more of the coaching aspect is, you know, helping them off the field as opposed to on the field. Right, right. And, uh, of course, I actually did start my coaching career at a high school in Arizona okay. uh, very briefly. Yeah. Um, and that Rambo High School is the high school in New York. I actually okay. attended that high school All right. okay. uh, my freshman year. Um, and, I mean, there, I mean, there's there's similarities and, and there are differences between the, the two levels there. Obviously, um, the high school level where I coach that we try to keep it as um, we try to keep it as a college program as as we could. Uh, especially yeah. the one in Arizona, we had some kids that you know were you know had the talent and were good enough to, to move on to the next level. Uh, and we we're playing some very high level high school uh, teams out there, so we did try and keep it as much realistic to the college level as possible. Um, but yes, you, with the high school level, um, you definitely want to coach them more so outside of the baseball field rather than, than, than within the baseball field. Because, you know, not, not every single one of those kids are going to move on and, and play at the college level, but you do want them to move on and, and just be great human beings and, and great men and great fathers and, um, you know, and, and all that stuff. But, you know, with the, with the college level, obviously, uh, you know, you want to win, uh, more than anything. And, and that's why you're there. Um, you know, these, these kids, they go to college to, to be students and athletes at the same time. And, um, but it was, it was pretty similar with the, with the way that we coach both, both aspects of it. And, and I'm really proud of it because a lot of those guys were able to succeed, uh, past, you know, those high school years and those college years. And with the Yeshiva University, I mean, what a, what an experience that was. You know, that was, I mean, that school, just to get into that school is very difficult. These kids are very, very bright kids and they're going to go on to just tremendous futures where realistically, you know, their academics were first no matter what. Uh, so we had to really cater to that, uh, which was 100% fine. And, uh, you know, moving on with, with those kids and, you know, that was, 
seven, eight years ago now. So a lot of those kids, and we still keep in touch, and they're, they're just doing so well for, for themselves. I'm just so proud of them. Yeah, I can imagine the the joy that you see, especially as a coach, when you see guys that you were coaching when they were 18, 19, 20 years old, and then they go on, and whether it be success in baseball or success elsewhere in life, just to see that is really gratifying, I, I can imagine. Absolutely. And it's just, it's just so much fun to be a part of. And, you know, even you get lucky enough to, to see one or two kids even move up, uh, to the professional level. And that, that's just where it becomes very special, especially when, when you start seeing them on the other side or you're coaching against them or, or with them or whatever the case is. It's just, it's a journey and it's all a big family to me. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Before I go on talking about Monroe College, because that's going to be very interesting. I do want to do a deep dive into that. Have you had that, uh, experience it where you're coaching against one of the guys that you originally started coaching against uh i ran into uh one kid one one guy so far okay um with the boulders and and okay. that was just that was just awesome to be a part of and and i'm i'm sure and i'm hoping that there's a lot more to follow i i imagine there will be but uh, i do want to now dive into monroe college like you said it was a first year program that you took over. You built it up from the ground up. So I was kind of wondering first of how you stumbled into, uh, to getting the job to build up the, the whole school's program. And then what was that experience like basically yep. building a program? Yeah. So at this, at this point, um, you know, once again, coaching at the professional level just wasn't an option. I, I just, you know, I, I really didn't think I had the playing resume or the coaching resume to even get in. So. At this point in my life, uh, college baseball was the highest level that I thought I would ever get to. So just getting this opportunity to become a head coach. And I was a pretty, I was pretty young at the time. I believe I was 25 when I was hired. Um, and having no head coaching experience. So I was kind of thrown in the fire there. And, uh, you know, it definitely, that definitely made me a much better coach. Uh, and not just on the baseball field, but just being organized and, you know, having, you know, being a head coach of a college, a lot of people don't realize, you know, maybe 20% of the job is actually baseball, but 80% is a lot of administrative stuff and uh, being in the office and recruiting and budget, uh, things that a lot of people don't really realize. So uh, that was that was an experience in itself. And, uh, and I was just so blessed to be there and, and begin the program and start the program. And um, it was definitely a def- different kind of demographic than I'm used to. These were uh, yeah. mostly inner city kids. So it was it was pretty special to get these kids out of the streets in a sense and, and get them into the classroom and get them into college and, and hoping that they'll have a better life for themselves. Because a lot of these kids that, that we coach were first, first generation, uh, you know, American citizens. And not only that, but first generations to even graduate high school. Um, yeah. so th- that was the demographic that, that we were trying to deal with there and, and really recruiting. And, and it, like I said, it's, it's more so with that program was getting these kids out of the streets and having them have some kind of great experience at the college level where they'll be able to graduate and actually get uh, some good full-time jobs and really change the, the uh, their family dynamic, in a sense. Yeah, I imagine it was even more gratifying to see the kids from Monroe really succeed because they had so much more of a difficult battle uh, going uphill to face than probably the kids at Yeshiva or even Ramapo did. Exactly. It was, it was definitely, it was different, uh, you know, but our, our biggest goal was to get them out of the Juco program, out of the Bronx and, uh, really into a different kind of, our goal was to get them to some kind of Division three program 
outside of New York City so they can experience that there is a life outside of New York City. There is a life out of the streets. Um, and just to get, because a lot of those kids also never even left the Bronx uh, for their yeah. entire life. So this was, that, that was our biggest goal. And, you know, I was lucky enough to be there, um, for about six months before we actually started the season. And then we had the whole first season and, uh, you know, uh, Coach Torres that's been there now, he, he took over after me. He's been doing such a great job with those kids and really turning that program around. And they're, they are a legitimate now, uh, Division Three JUCO program in New York City. And, and, uh, you know, they should be getting pretty close to, to, uh, getting to those regionals. And, uh, yeah. he's just doing a great job over there. And I'm, I'm really proud of him. I can only, I can only imagine the pride that, especially that you still, I imagine taking that program, knowing the hand that you played in there and all the work that went behind the scenes and with all the guys like Coach Torres is doing over there. And, uh, I, I just want to know for personally, like what's the highest level? Cause I'm not very well versed in college baseball. What's like the highest, uh, kind of achievement that you could get on the division three JUCO level? Would it be? basically a, one version of their college world series or would it be something similar? Or? Yeah. So they, they do have their own, uh, Juco division three world series. And obviously that was always our ultimate goal. That was our vision. Yeah. Um, but they do have the regional regionals. It's pretty much the same kind of concept that you'll see at other levels as well. Okay. Um, but you know, they are now turning into a, a program that they, they fight for that conference title every year now. And, uh, you know, moving on to regionals and, and, uh, you know, little by little, they're, they're really improving and, and I've been following every step of the way. Yeah. I imagine it's a really special process watching all of it, uh, play out. So absolutely. Yep. And so then if I'm not mistaken, there is uh, one spot that kind of overlaps with some of the, uh, professional or, well, uh, could be a little bit more overlap with some of the other professional experience you have. So I'll get to the last college that I saw listed, which was uh, Felician U over in Rutherford, Lodi area. So I was wondering what what was that like in Felician? Because if I'm not mistaken, Felician is Division Two, and if I'm right, my alma mater played them fairly decently. So yeah, so uh, yeah, um, Felician U that was Division Two out yep. of Jersey. Uh, uh, what a great experience that was. Also, um, I had just finished my, uh, my first full season with the, uh, with the boulders. Um, it was something that I just wanted to do. Uh, I volunteered that, that season. I just wanted to continue my season in a sense, going straight from the boulders season right into the fall season at, at Felician University. And, uh, that was a program that, you know, I was lucky enough to, to be a part of. Uh, I know the history of that program. Uh, they had such a, a big winning culture and that was something that I was lacking in terms of my college coaching career. Uh, something that I really want to jump in and, and see a, a winning program. And, uh, I mean, what a great season we had. I mean, they get so many, um, coach, uh, Javins does such a great job recruiting over there. And so does, uh, coach, uh, Langan. Um, uh, it's just unbelievable the guys that they're able to bring in a lot of division one transfers and, you know, they really, they really funnel that program in there and they, they just win and they constantly go to regionals every year. And, um, you know, I, I just love having that win at all costs mentality. And it was just a great thing to be a part of. I, I really took a backseat to that season and, and just focused on, uh, strictly working with those catchers. And, uh, that really solidified me as a catching coach, I would say at the collegiate level now, now that I go back and, and help out these programs just with their catchers. And it, it was just, so special and, and now you know that's another program that i follow you know yeah each and every day and and uh you know i hope the best for them and i, I hope to see them in the college world series one day 
Yeah, definitely there. And so, like you said, it was at the end of the first season with the boulders there. So, uh, obviously being from the New York area, I imagine it was a bit more special to be able to get the opportunity to be, uh, a coach on what's, for lack of a better term, more or less your hometown team. And, uh, I was kind of wondering how you came about joining the Rockers staff. And I imagine this is what kind of kicked off your relationship with Jamie Keith that, you know, still continues to today. Yeah, so uh, I just so happened to grow up uh, less than a mile away from the Boulder Stadium uh, on the same street. Uh, yeah. I remember as a kid, before that stadium was even there, it was just, just woods. And uh, yeah. uh, I've always wanted to be a part of it. I actually started with the organization we uh, when I was in college and uh, the uh, team was first created. Uh, we were host families for them. So oh, okay, that's cool. how it all started. I even, uh, one summer, I even sold lemonade in the, in the stands at, at, at Boulder Stadium. Yeah. So. Kind of done it all in, in indie ball, but, uh, yeah. with the boulders, the way it went down was, uh, I was actually coaching a 12 u team, okay. um, just on the side. And, uh, one of the parents, uh, found out that I was from Rockland County and he, uh, Dan Art, he happened okay. to be a broadcaster for, uh, for the boulders. And, uh, he said, Hey, you know, the man, I know the manager really well. If you want to meet him, I'd love to introduce you to him. And, uh, you know, you throw pretty good BP. I'm sure he'll need some help with some guys throwing BP. So I went. And I met Jamie and, uh, you know, it was like a month later, he invited me to throw BP at a, at an open tryout and, uh, yeah. and the rest is history. And I've been with him ever since. And, uh, I mean, what did, I mean, that was truly a dream come true. Um, you know, I grew up going to indie ball games as a kid, going to Jackals games and the, the Ducks games. And, uh, yeah. you know, I always knew the, uh, the level that, that indie ball was and, and especially, uh, you know, with the bowlers being a fan for so many years and just being on the field and, you know, being on the staff was just, it was just kind of surreal. That, that first year was more surreal than anything. And, uh, I mean, the fact that Jamie's kept me on his staff for so long, it's just, I'm just so thankful to him. And what a story and what a, what a full circle it became. Yeah. No, I just, I imagine the whole working relationship with you and I'm sure it's evolved over the years, but, I just imagine both of you are on such the same page at this point that it must really be a special thing both on and off the field. Yeah, it, it's, it's super special. It went from, you know, those first couple of years to, especially, you know, you, you'd see more in the off season to, you know, I would barely hear from him, you know, yeah. until getting closer to spring training. And now it's to the point where Jamie and I, we talk almost every single day of, you know, how are we going to get this team better or whatever, or just life or whatever the case is. So, we've really created such a bond and you know, I, I've lost, I lost my dad so long ago. So yeah. this is kind of like a, that father figure that I've always been uh, looking for in a sense. And he's really taken me in and you know, I, I really owe so much to him and, and uh, it's just been such a, such a fun ride and we're definitely not done yet. You know, we're, yeah. we're still chasing a, our first championship together, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, but you know, we're, we're still chasing it and, and, and here we are today. Yeah, very much so. And so I'm going to bring Will back into the conversation now because I'm sure he has a lot of questions about this and I'm sure he wants to get started on the, the experience in 2020. But I think there's probably a little bit of meat on the bone still uh, leading up to that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I have a lot of questions about that transition from, from Rockland to High Point. And I guess uh, we've seen it in some senses, uh, I guess it's a little bit more common at least this past year in the Atlantic League, with so many new teams being brought in. But at the time, in, in 2019, um, the inaugural, a team coming in in their inaugural season and having a lot of success was was pretty rare historically uh, in the Atlantic League. So what what was it like 
trying to build that roster in 2019 with High Point with no real, like, uh, with the rockers being so new and like everything just being so new, how what was it like building that roster from scratch, uh, especially for for you guys and Jamie as well? You know, it just that that all comes down to the experience that that the staff had together, uh, that they put that they put together in a sense with with Jamie Keith, who's been doing this for for so many years, and and with you know Frank Viola and his background, and and even Billy Horn, who's a a legend in his own right in indie ball, and he's he's the guy also that you know he'll he'll get you guys signed, and and he brings in such great high level players, and and the fact with the three of them, and then you could throw me in the mix, the four of us being so passionate about about this opportunity that we had in front of us, being in the Atlantic League, and and being with a new organization in in this great city of High Point, uh, and and that's really what it comes down to is just our passion for it, and uh, you know it wasn't easy. There was a lot of growing. Uh, growing parts to it. It, w- it was, it was a difficult first few months, uh, you know, leading up to the season, but, uh, you know, we put it all together and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, you could give all that, that, that credit to, to Jamie Keith, uh, Frank Ball and, and, and especially Billy Horn as well, putting those, that team together. And I was just lucky to be a part of it and, uh, throw BP and, and catch pens and, you know, make sure the guys are loose and getting those reps in. So that's kind of how, We've been able to play it, uh, play it so well as well, you know, with uh, Jamie Keith and, and Billy Horn just bringing in the players and, and me and Frank Viola just making sure that these players get the, the reps and that they need to in order to uh, succeed each and every night. And during that first year, obviously there was there were so many changes um, in the Atlantic League that season, especially especially mid season and, and specifically with the automatic balls and strike system. And since you're a bullpen, uh, since you're you're the bullpen catcher, and I'm sure a lot of I'm sure you're aware of a lot of this. So, how what was it like for really from your experience working like the Rockers pitchers and the catchers as well? Like, what was that adjustment like mid-season uh, when the automatic balls and strike system really came to fruition and was being used um, every single game? Like, what was that like for you guys? Was it hard to sort of make that adjustment on the fly? Well, it, it was certainly an adjustment. That's, that's 100%. But the big key with these guys is these guys are professionals and, and they're high level professionals. We try to keep it to the point where just, just be yourself. Just continue to do, do, do your thing, play your own game. Um, and you know, control what you can control in that, that aspect. Um, obviously in the bullpen, we did work on certain things as to, you know, is this pitch, is that going to hit the corner? Or is this not going to hit the corner and trying to master you know, the, uh, the, uh, automatic, uh, balls and strikes, uh, system. However, you know, it was more so just, just trying to be yourself. There's a reason why you're here. You know, a lot of these guys that had, they have extensive, uh, major league experience. So there's nothing so much that we wanted to change in their game. And, uh, you know, there were some guys that, that really struggled with it. And some guys, uh, you know, built a career off, off of these new rules and everything, uh, of, of, of that aspect, but you know, we try and take care of those guys, especially the guys that, that really struggled and, and they have the history and a the, the great background of the game. Uh, so the guys that, that really struggled, we try to, you know, have them move on to a different league and a different team where they moved on and they, they had great seasons for themselves. And, uh, you know, I'm really proud of the, the coaching staff for that and allowing them to get another opportunity somewhere else where, where they can succeed and, and, you know, get back to that, that high level of baseball where, where they once were. 
and specifically f- from a catching perspective, I guess when when you're when you're working uh, w- with the catchers in high point with the automated balls and strike system, are you still like really? Of course, like in in most leagues, you're you're working on framing with catchers and whatnot. Uh, but like with the automatic balls and strike system, does that does that kind of go out the window? Do you not really teach that, or are you still working with them? Because hey, even though you're, it might not matter here if you're looking to move on elsewhere. Of course, to double A, triple A, it's really it is going to matter again. So are you are you still working on those uh, on like framing and things like that, even though it, I guess it doesn't technically matter with the balls and strike system. I mean, you nailed it right there. Uh, yes, we are constantly working on, on that and not changing anything because at the end of the day, the goal is for them to move on from, from here. Uh, the goal is to get them back to a three ball, get them back into the big leagues where, where those rules are, aren't in effect over there. So yes, we want them to continue to, to work on their receiving and their framing and everything. Nothing, just because there are new rules, nothing changes in, in your game. Uh, and that, that's just the big thing, thing about it. And at the same time, uh, you know, something that I've learned as a bullpen catcher, you know, with your pitchers just being comfortable throwing to you is, is just a big part of the game. So, you know, even in the middle of the game with the automatic balls and strikes, you still want to receive it well. You still want your pitcher to feel comfortable throwing it to you, uh, because you're catching it while you're receiving it well or you're framing it, whatever, the, whatever you want to call it. Um, but yeah, that, that is a big aspect of it is, you know, we don't want our catchers to get lazy by any means because obviously that part is taken away from the game with these new rules. But moving forward, the goal is not to stay here. The goal is for them to move on and get back to that level. And uh, and as a catcher, do you think that uh, do you think there is a future like in the game for like the automated balls and strike system, or do you think it's something that at, at least needs a lot of work before it's actually used and Say double A or, or double A, triple A MLB games, or do you think this is something that uh, you're confident will be a part of the game for years to come? You know that that that's a little above my pay grade, but at the same time, I'm an old school guy and I'm a catcher, and, and you know I love that game within the game with, with your pitcher and catcher and being on the same page, and, and your your pitcher hitting hitting a spot consistently, and your catcher receiving it well, and you're getting calls, and you know to me. As an old school baseball guy, that, that is just a beautiful part of the game, but that's, that's a part of the game that not too many people understand unless you're, you're in the middle of it. Um, so I don't, I don't know what the future holds with, with the rules. Um, uh, but you know, it's my job to make sure that these guys are, are well prepared and, and getting to that level that they need to, to be. So, uh, you know, that, that's just something that we'll just have to wait and see. Sure. Sure. So but, but I, I, before I, I, I asked more about that. That crazy 2020 year. Um, Nick, do you have anything you want to add as far as, far as like that, that first year in high point or anything like that? Yeah. Uh, there's really two questions I have and they really could be lumped into one, which is just kind of the transition going from Rockland to high point and from the Can-Am to the Atlantic League. I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that because obviously the Atlantic League is kind of seen as the pinnacle league they're the top dog it happened for some time on the independent scale and obviously the can-am doesn't exist anymore due to their issues and uh, i imagine that the way you a team would operate even just day-to-day like a coach would experience in rockland is a bit different from that of a, a coach in say high point north carolina absolutely i mean these guys in the atlantic league they're just they're just polished they're they just have it's just that experience that they have uh 
you know, playing for so long and, and getting to that high level um, of the big leagues, you know, where, where we all dream to be one day. And uh, so it, it's definitely that kind of adjustment that I, I needed to see in a sense. And, you know, my first, especially the first few months or so, just, uh, you know, being in an Atlantic League locker room and, and just watching the game, sometimes I'll have to, like, uh, come back to life where, I, you know, I was more focused on, I was a fan at, at, in, in a sense, you know, watching these guys play. I mean, I was kind of in awe about the talent that I, I was watching and had right in front of me and even catching some of these guys. I mean, these are some of the best players I've ever seen in my life uh, right there in front of me. I and mean, it was just such a surreal experience. And, uh, you know, finally, you know, these guys, they, they made, they really made me feel like I belonged and, and I got really comfortable and I, I would learn from them and, and vice versa. They would learn from me. And we just have such a great relationship uh, with me and, and these players. And, uh, you know, even with the Can-Am, you know, there were, there were some dudes in there too that they were just unbelievable as well. But you just see more of that polished, uh, experienced player here in the Atlantic League. Yeah, definitely there. And so I guess everything else I have is more or less post 2020, uh, or just general questions. So, uh, Will, if you want to go headlong into the 2020 season and all the wildness that that entailed, feel free to yeah. take the lead on it. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to ask because, um, you were the man, you went back to Rockland, uh, to be the manager uh, of that, <clears throat> of that team during the All American Baseball Challenge, uh, Circuit League. So I guess from your perspective, how, how did that all come about? There was so much, so much doubt and just so much craziness during, during the whole year. So how did that come about? And, uh, what was it like being, being a manager for the first time? Yeah. So uh, like, like you said, I mean, there was just so much craziness leading up to that. Um, you know, there were, there were talks about having some kind of league here in high point and that's where I was planning on, on being. Uh, but obviously there were no details to that league or if it was even happening. So I even got into my mindset that there was going to be no baseball at all. And I was just going to, you know, have an off year and, and, and move on to high point the following year. And, out of nowhere, it was just out of the blue. I got a phone call, um, from Kevin Tuvey, the head scout of the bowlers. And, uh, you know, we just had a, a little, little chat about, you know, the possibility of managing and, and the possibility that they were going to have this league. And, uh, wow. I mean, the excitement and just, it was just un- unbelievable the, the fact that they were even considering me to manage this team and, and being, being a kid from Rockland and, and, uh, you know, with my story, it was just, it was just unbelievable. And, and, uh, you know, I got a phone call the next day and, and they basically offered me the job. And, and, uh, you know, it was crazy. They offered me the job and the season was starting in about two weeks. And, uh, you know, we had to build a roster right away. We had an open trial within the week and, uh, we were able to build that roster. And, and I was kind of just right then and there, just throwing the fire. There was no real time to, to sit there and think about it. It was just, all right, I got the job. I'm like, let's go. Like, it's go time. And, and now, you know, I want to make a name for myself and, and win here at my, my hometown, my home stadium. My goodness, two two weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's, it was, it was, that's incredible. Yep. Um, so that was a very interesting phone call I had with Jamie Keith as well as soon as they offered me the job, and uh, it was just it was just unbelievable. Um, but yeah, they just threw me in the fire, and and uh, you know it was either sink or swim, and uh, that was it. You know, we just uh, put a team together that we thought we were going to win, and and uh, we uh, we won, and we won a lot. It was it was pretty special. So how did you, how did you go? I mean, I, I know you mentioned you had the open tryout. Was most of the roster built from that open tryout? Was some just 
just calling guys that um, that you knew could play a little bit that were probably presumably looking for just something to do during, during the season. At this point, when I got the job, we had maybe eight guys that were solidified on that roster that were <laughs> willing and able to play during that season. So, uh, you know, we gave a lot of guys opportunities that would have never gotten any kind of opportunity uh, anywhere else in any other kind of circumstance. And, you know what, these guys, they really took this opportunity and they ran with it and they, they had a lot of success. And, and these are these are my best stories in, in general of these guys and their success stories. Uh, you know, because moving forward and fast, fast forward to, to now, you know, they, they went on to, to higher leagues and, uh, and performed and, and some of them are getting affiliate jobs now. And it's just been unbelievable to see that kind of transition and, and giving these guys the opportunity. Um, and you know, when you give these guys that opportunity and they'll, they'll play for you and they'll play hard for you. And that's something that I learned and, and I watched firsthand. But from at least for for you personally, transitioning to that role is is spending after spending a lot of years as either an assistant or a, a bullpen catcher, be, being the manager, being the one to call the shots. Uh, I I guess what was that adjustment like for you, and uh and and what and how was that experience at least managing for the first time in, in the in the All American Baseball Challenge? You were at first. I was I was an absolute nervous wreck. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. But you want to know something? Once once opening day came and once that first pitch was thrown, uh, somehow I was able to lock in, and it just became natural. And uh, it got to the point where it was just how am I going to put these guys in the best possible opportunities to have success for not only themselves but for our organization. Um, and it's just it's just it was an out of body experience and, and I didn't realize how much I had learned from Jamie Keith and Frank Viola and Billy Horn, just, just being in the background and just watching these guys. And, and I was able to just act alone on just things that I was seeing and, and, and all the decisions I needed to make. It was more so what would these, what would my coaching staff at the high point rockers do in this situation in a sense? And, and we were able to have a lot of success with that. And it just, it just came natural. I really can't explain it to you. So then after after the time ended in, in the All American Baseball Challenge and with Rockland, you managed two teams in one year and uh and were able to go to, to the Liberation League uh out in Indiana. So uh I guess at least first of all, how much time did you have to like make that transition from Rockland? Uh, out to the Liberation League, try and find guys to play out there. And essentially, I'm assuming you were prepping some sort, like while you were still in Rockland, to go out to the Liberation League and sort of preparing the roster out there while you were managing in Rockland as well. So, so that that's just crazy how that happened as well. You know, we finished up in Rockland, and uh, you know, we were first place, and uh, we went to the playoffs. So right then and there, it was a successful season, and. Uh, you know, I thought once again, I thought my season was over. I was just home, uh, enjoying the off season, the beginning of the off season in a sense. And, uh, I got a phone call from Sam Byrne, the, uh, owner of the BR Bandits in the Liberation League that their manager, who was the AAA, uh, bullpen coach of the Giants at the time, uh, needed to leave the team, uh, because of his duties with the Giants and, uh, offered me the job, uh, right then on the spot. And, uh, it was to the point where I was, I had to leave in a matter of three or four days. Um, so that was just another crazy aspect. They had already been uh, about halfway through their season. 
Uh, so their roster was already fulfilled, and uh, I brought three players with me from the Boulders, and we just got in our car and we just drove over there, not knowing really what to expect at all. And um, yeah, I mean, what a transition that was, I'll tell you. I mean, I mean that just that just sounds like an absolute whirlwind. <laughs> you were able to be go from managing in New York, just shooting out to Indiana within a matter of days. But of course, uh, that liberation in that liberation league, it ended pretty well for you. Uh, you, you could say, uh, coming out with, coming out with a championship. So, uh, after, uh, after managing in Rockland and managing out, out there, uh, how was it out of all after to really sum up that, that insane crazy year that was 2020? What was it like just ending the year, ending that year with a ring? I mean, once the second we stepped foot in, in Indiana, I addressed the team right away. And, you know, especially with the three guys that I brought from Rockland, I eventually brought another player from Rockland about a week later. But, you know, my, my first meeting with the team were, was I felt like a championship was taken away from us in Rockland. And so being in Indiana and getting another opportunity in the same season, uh, which never happens to anybody. Um, you know, it was, it was a win at all cost mindset and it was championship or bust. And I, I addressed that to the team and, and I basically told him, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to make friends. I was not there to make friends. I was on a mission and that was it. And it was going to be tough and it was going to be tough to play for me. Uh, and I understood that. And, you know, we did have some guys that, that quit the team, uh, you know, uh, during, in the middle of it, uh, because it was, it was pretty difficult and it was difficult on them, but we were on a mission and, you know, sometimes in order to win it all, you 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 got to make some enemies, and and you're not there to make friends at all. But at the end of the day, uh, we were able to pull pull through, and uh, the guys the guys that stuck around, they really bought into it, and um, you know, it, it got to the point where you know we thought we were gonna we made it to the championship, and we lost game one. It was best of three, and we had no more pitching left, and I really thought it was the end of the ropes for us. But somehow these guys they had a, they had a will to win, and I'm just so proud of those guys man and, and and we won it all and it was that was the proudest moment of my life and when that last out was made i was crying like a baby and it was just such a full circle i had never imagined anything like that to happen and and not just for me but i was just so ha- happy and proud of those guys that were able to be a part of it and uh you know that that was a big stepping stone for a lot of those guys and it was so special seeing some of those guys from that league move on to even the atlantic league uh, and even the frontier and the American Association and, and it was such a great stepping stone for those guys. And what a, what a way to end it. And what a, what a story it was. Yeah, no kidding. What, what a, what a wild, an absolutely wild ride that, that, that sounds like for 2020. So, but before we move on, I know I'm sure Nick, you have a couple things you want, you, you want to add from that insane 2020, 2020 year. Yeah. I mean, it, honestly, it makes it sound like the transition from Can-Am to Atlantic League was nothing when you compare it, uh, the AABC to the Liberation League. So I was wondering if there were like what players stood out to you in both leagues, if there was any player that, you know, really made you go, oh, I can't believe I, I haven't found this player before. I, or I haven't seen this player before. Uh, if there was any guy like that. You know, there, there were there were so many guys with such unbelievable stories that were a part of both those teams uh, that were able to move on. But there were also some guys that, that weren't able to move on, but were given an opportunity for some kind of closure. And I'll give you a couple examples. Um, you know, we had Greg Modica, who I, I was able to sign. He was a 40-year-old um, oh, yeah. who just really wanted an opportunity for some closure in his career. He had pitched in the Atlantic League and pitched at a high level. 
in the early 2000s and, uh, you know, his career, uh, came to an end due to injury. And, um, you know, over the last few years, he got himself in shape and he threw a bullpen in front of me and, you know, it took one pitch and, and I already knew, I already saw, I saw something that he was so polished and, and, uh, you know, I, I knew he can get out for me. And, and so we signed him right there on the spot. And what a tremendous story that was. He, he went on to have an unbelievable season for me. He pitched some great innings for me. Um, so that, that was just a great story right there. And then, you know, you had the story of John Michael Garino. Uh, um, and, uh, you know, I signed him as desperation in a sense. Uh, we, we didn't have any pitching left for a weekend series for, for the last game of the series. And, uh, I had known him. I had coached with him. He was my pitching coach at Monroe College. Yeah. Um, but his career had come to an end, you know, five years earlier. But just knowing him and knowing how competitive he was and, and no matter what, even if he hadn't thrown for five years, if I gave him an opportunity to play pro ball, even if it was for one pitch, he would give me his all. And he went out there, he had one appearance, and uh, he pitched three scoreless innings and, and got the win. And, and I offered him the pitching coach job for the Boulders right there in the spot. Yeah. And uh, he's now the pitching coach at Stack, which is a big uh, powerhouse for Division Two baseball. And, you know, that's just another unbelievable story. And just I'm just so proud of him. And, these were the kind of kind of guys that we were able to bring in for the for those two seasons and uh, or for those two teams and uh you know even moving forward you have you have guys like uh, Adam Heidenfelder who we gave an opportunity in the Boulders and you know he he moves on to the American Association with Gary you know gets picked up by the Cubs this season back to Gary and finishes up with his uh, hometown team of the Ducks and uh, you know we're so proud of him for that as well. And, you know, the Frank Nigel story uh, of this kid coming out of a Division Two out of nowhere and signed him on the Rockers in 19. He's with me for the Boulders in 20, and, and we win a championship together uh, in the Liberation League uh, in Indiana. And, you know, the next thing, he's in spring training with, with the Minnesota Twins, and now he's with the Minnesota Twins. So this is why we do it, and it's just, it's just so fun to be a part of and, and seeing these guys' success. And, um, you know, that's that's why we continue to do it. Yeah, absolutely. That's just awesome. And uh, not too dissimilar uh, from your pitching coach. You also got the opportunity to jump into a, a game this year or a couple of games this past season uh, with High Point there. So I was wondering if you could kind of just talk about what it was like to kind of come in on an emergency basis there for a couple of days uh, for the Rockers. Yeah, uh, you know, this was something that it was uh, six years in the making. And, uh, you know, I I came, you know, on, uh, Jamie Keefe's staff and I was a young kid. I was, you know, pretty quiet, uh, you know, raw behind the plate in the sense, as you would say. And yeah. over so many years of working with these, you know, former major leaguers and high level baseball guys. And, you know, I improved myself, my own game behind the plate in terms of my receiving aspect of it. Uh, and I, you know, I, I catch so many guys and, uh, you know, over and over again that Jamie was confident enough in me to, to sign me as a player to be the third the third catcher on the roster in case of any kind of emergency. And, uh, I mean, I would have never expected that in, in the entire world. I mean, that's, that was never a goal of mine. Um, but wow, what a tremendous story that was. And just, you know, I, I was able to, to really live in the present, um, during those days and, and really soak it all in because, uh, at the end of the day, you know, my career ended due to uh, some injuries. I thought I was going to play a couple more years in Europe. Uh, it just didn't happen. And, uh, so I went straight into coaching and really had, didn't really have that closure as a player. And just the fact that I was able to sign for 13 days in the Atlantic mm-hmm. League and, and, you know, get two at bats and, uh, and, uh, inning behind the plate was just, was just unbelievable. It was, 
it was definitely some of the best moments of my life. Something that I, I look back on almost every day now and with a big smile. And, and those 13 days, I was truly a kid again. And, uh, man, what closure, that's the closure I needed. And I'm able now to move forward and move on and, and focus on coaching and, and really focus on getting these guys that, that kind of same opportunity that I, I was able to experience. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was just so cool, but that ball was moving faster than I, I <laughs> even remember. That was the fastest thing I've ever seen in my life. So that was, that was, yeah. it was funny, but it, it was cool and it was such a special moment. Yeah. I imagine that the difference or when you got up there and you saw the talent level, it was something else. Do you remember who the, the two pitchers you faced in the uh, two at bats were or? I, I faced Jeremy Jeffries both at bats back to back. Oh, oh uh, my goodness. Yeah, oh, man. Uh, man, what? I mean, if, if you're going to throw me in the fire, you know, throw me in the fire against that guy right there. I mean, unbelievable talent. Uh, I mean, just truly humble to, to be able to face a solidified big leaguer right there. And, uh, you know what? He got me my first at bat, uh, with a strikeout, my second bat at bat. You know, I, I chose to have somewhat of a, of an approach, something that I preach all the time to, to my guys. And, uh, I was able to get him on that one and I was able to work a walk and, uh, get on base in the Atlantic League. And that's, that was a dream come true right there. Yeah, absolutely. I can only imagine what that's like. I mean, that, that was a real baptism by fire. You get a former major leaguer and Jeremy Jeffress. And, and, oh and, my god! And not, <laughs> not not even just the guy that had a cup of coffee either. I mean, a pretty solid major leaguer there too. So that was something else. Yeah, there. and that was it. Was just awesome. And, and I mean, that guy, he's nasty. And, and you know, those two at bats they replay in my head all the time. And that. It was just so so much fun to be able to be out there and just compete against a talent like that. Yeah, absolutely there. And then I guess uh, I only have a few more questions left because we, you've been very generous with your time and we appreciate that. Uh, so you did have a little bit of more of a kind of Rockland reunion, I guess, kind of this year because I saw that uh, a, a guy that you probably were in the clubhouse with a little bit, Marcus Nightifer, also joined up for a couple of games too during the season. Yeah, uh, Nightifer, he, he joined us from Lexington, and that was just awesome. What a great reunion that was. And Jimmy Keyes did a great job of, of bringing some guys back, whether, whether it's to sign them on an emergency basis or, uh, you know, just to have them around and have them around the organization. And there were a few guys like that with Marcus Nightiford and, yeah. and Tommy Lawrence and, uh, um, uh, I'm sure I'm missing a, yeah. a few, but there, there, there's been a few over the years, uh, that, that he brings back from Rockland. It was just a great reunion. And, uh, you know, watching Nidifer go up there and I, he hit a ball pretty, pretty hard up the middle. And it was like he had never left the game before. And, and, uh, you know, I was able to throw him BP before the games and I just felt like it was back in 2017 all over again. And, uh, so that, that's always fun to be a part of. And I'm sure there'll be more stories like that moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's always fun whenever I go and I check the transaction page and I go, wait, that guy? I thought you were tired. Yep. <laughs> and then you go back through and you're like, oh yeah, no, it's always, uh, it's always fun like that. So, uh, I guess I just have a couple of generic questions to get to that we ask everybody. So before I get to those, if Will, you got anything left to add, feel free to jump in there and, and add it before I get to the, just the generic questions. Sure. Nick, Nick, do you think it's, do you think it's time for the, the playoff time? Things, oh. uh, that's, that's oh. been a, quite a topic on this show. Oh, yeah. How Rockland got, or uh, how High Point got screwed out of the postseason? That one? Uh, yeah, that one. <laughs> I go with that. <laughs> yeah, because... that, that, that definitely left a, a little salty wound, uh, for us. But you want to know something that, you know, that motivates us for next year. And, uh, this is the first time that Jamie Keith and I missed the playoffs together. So, uh, 
No, it's it sucks. It's not the way we want to end the season, but uh, we're definitely coming back next year uh, for some revenge for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm sure I'm sure the motivation and uh, is there and uh, and it's going to motivate you guys for next year. But I mean this this playoff system in the Atlantic League that Nick and I have talked about at, at length on the yeah. show, like are the Rockers either I forget now, but is it the first or the second best record overall record in the league and, and missing the playoffs. I mean, at least at least from your perspective, does that like is there something extra there that really like just like like irks you about about missing like it's one thing to miss the playoffs, but to miss the playoffs like like that is that something like that you guys were that you guys were thinking about like at all? Did it creep into anyone's mind that like what kind of what kind of system is this? You know, it it is frustrating and it it does creep in your head a little bit, especially you know getting closer to crunch time, but. You know what? At the end of the day, the rules are the rules, and uh, you know it's our job to go out there and perform and, and, and get the job done. And that's why the, the winning the first half is just so important. And that's something that we have not been able to do so far in the, in the two seasons here. And uh, you know that it just comes down to really the importance of winning that first half. So next year, you know that's that's our priority in a sense. And you know you you want we always want to make these excuses as to why we didn't make the playoffs or it's not fair. You know we had the best record and this and that. But at the end of the day. Uh, you know, we know what we signed up for. We know what the rules are, and, and it's our job to get there no matter what. Um, so, you know, that, it definitely gives us some motivation, and, uh, you know, it definitely does creep in our head. But now now we're hungry to just go out there and win the first half and, and have a solid second half going into the playoffs next next year and, and hopefully, you know, bringing that championship to high point for the first time in the Atlantic League and, you know, the, for the first time for Jamie Keefe and I together. And that, it, it'll just be pretty special. and. I'm just so pumped up for next year. I just can't wait for spring training. For sure, for sure. And I think the last thing, I, the last thing I just wanted to ask about, we spoke a lot about the automatic balls and strike system earlier uh, in the interview. But as far as the mound being moved back, I think a lot of people had, uh, there There were a lot of expectations of what was going to happen uh, after that happened, what was going to happen to the game and the quality of game. I, it didn't seem like that really happened. It didn't seem like it made too much of an impact, at least from our perspective. I know you you had a, have a probably have a much better idea uh, th- than we do just watching uh, just watching from afar. But I guess from from your perspective, what kind of impact uh, did moving the mound back had? It, did it have did it have any impact at all, or was it or is it as slight as it seemed uh, that from watching from afar? I mean, from from watching from afar. Uh... It didn't seem like there was too much of a difference uh, between it. I'm sure with these guys who have been playing every day for so long, I'm sure they felt some kind of a difference with it. Um, for me, I hadn't played in seven years, and, and for me to, to even get two at-bats at, at 61 feet, uh, to me it seemed, it seemed the same. But, you know, I've been out of the game for so long as a player that, uh, you know, that's that's something more so for the, for the player's perspective. Uh, but from the outside looking in, uh, you know, these guys, these guys are so, they're just such professionals and, and, and they're so talented that at the end of the day, it, it didn't seem like there was too much of a difference. All right. Well, and that's all, that's pretty much all I have. Nick, I know if you want to ask a few to, to, to finish it out. Yeah. I got like two or three that I just want to get to before uh, we give you some time to, you know, promote yourself and anything that you want to say. But, uh, this, the two I kind of have beforehand. Uh, first off is obviously being a coach you're in the room a lot and you've been coaching for quite some time now. So I wonder, 
uh, just kind of who is either the most underrated player you've coached or maybe the guy that's kind of low-key, real funny guy or real good in the room. Any guy like that that really just kind of stands out either from just a, a player perspective or just a person perspective that perhaps we don't uh, quite know about? Uh, well, I mean, you know, being in baseball, you, you meet so many different kind of personalities. and uh, But I definitely have some three names for you, uh, you know, just – Stemming from that, I would say Michael Russell is definitely, I would say, probably the most underrated player I've ever seen. I think he's one of the best talents I've ever seen that has not gotten an opportunity in the major leagues. Uh, there's nothing flashy about him, but he just gets the job done. And, and uh, I mean, what an unbelievable talent he is to watch every single day and ultimate competitor. And, and I hope that one day he gets that opportunity because he, he deserves it. That's 100%. Um, then, you know, you have, uh, your Tommy Lawrence, who, what a tremendous story, you know, he was coming back to the Atlantic, coming back and playing and coming to the Atlantic League and having such success for us this year. And, uh, but what a personality he is in the clubhouse. And, you know, he's, he's the guy who keeps the boys loose. And, uh, you know, there's never a dull moment being around him. And, uh, you know, he, he just, he just makes you realize how fun baseball is and, and, and why we do it and, and just, you know, the lifestyle of it and, uh, just being around him is just truly unbelievable. And, and, uh, you know, we're just so happy and proud of him for his success. And, yeah. and we hope that, that he plays for a long time now. Uh, and then, you know, we have our, uh, you know, the young kid, Frank Nigro, who, uh, yeah. came out of nowhere and, uh, he's truly one of the best talents I've ever seen behind the plate. And, uh, he's a guy that uh, I truly believe that he'll make it to the big leagues one day. And, and when he does, what a tremendous story that will be. And, and I hope that story will help the next generation uh, of guys that are similar to him, um, coming from absolutely nowhere to being a pretty solidified professional and uh, being one of the best that I, I've ever seen uh, behind the plate. So those are three, and 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 of course Frank Nigro, his his personality too, just being a young kid and just enjoying life and and uh, you know enjoying his success and just being around that, it, it's fun to watch. And uh, you know, so those are the three personalities uh, for sure that that uh i've loved being around the last few years i can imagine i imagine that rocker clubhouse is a really fun one especially when you factor in a future cma award winner bryce hensley in there too oh yeah you could throw him i mean obviously there's so many names that we could throw out there i I, I could uh name all of them and and with all these guys i've had i have so many stories and experiences with them and that's what it's all about too it's about the people that you meet and the experience that you have with them absolutely there and so uh, I can't let a guy that was in the Can-Am League go without asking, you know, what were some of the more favorite places to travel? Because it seems like whenever we run into a guy that was in the Can-Am League or now the Frontier League, the answer always seems to be Quebec City or Three Rivers. So I, I got to ask, what was like, as far as traveling cities, cities that, you know, weren't weren't Rockland, what were the places you liked to visit the most on a road trip? Quebec City is definitely the number one spot. I mean, you just what have so much it? fun being out there. What a what a different and awesome culture it is up there. Just, you know, uh, the atmosphere of just being at that ballpark to sell out all the time. And, uh, and then just, you know, the atmosphere after the games, it's just, it's so much fun to be, to be over there in Canada and, and Quebec city. And, uh, you know, great games that we had against each other. And, uh, yeah, that, that's definitely the, the number one spot for sure for there. And then being in the Atlantic league, uh, in 2019, Sugarland was, was pretty awesome to, to be a part of and, and going out there. That was, that was the most uh, big league ballpark I've ever been in, and uh, that that was that was pretty cool. But then just being, you know, 
being with Rockland and, and High Point, I mean, those two locations are, are just awesome. And the facilities that we have uh, on both sides of it, it's just, it's just great too. So I'm, I'm sure uh, for those teams that travel to us, it's a pretty special experience for them as well. Yeah, I imagine. I mean, that those two are amazing ballparks, and everyone always says Quebec. I don't know what it is. It just everyone always says Quebec. They're like, oh, yep, it's always, it's never <laughs> anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where you have to experience it to believe it, I'm just, and and to see what really goes on. But yeah, it's it's definitely a lot of fun being up there. Yeah, I, I certainly think I need to get up there now because everyone says it. But uh, yeah, so I think that's just about most of what I have to ask you. You've been very generous with your time, and I know uh, when we were talking last night, I said it would only take about an hour, and we're at about an hour right now. So uh, I'm going to give you some time here at the end, uh, five minutes, ten minutes, uh, to, for you to promote anything you want to promote, say anything you want to say, maybe go back to something that we discussed earlier if something else came to your mind anything like that uh, the time is yours now to do so well i appreciate the time that you guys gave me here this has been just awesome and you know i've had a big smile on my face this whole conversation really looking back on on the journey that i had and uh it's just been a lot of fun and uh just one thing that i, I would love to promote is uh you know we, we just started my team and i we just started a um you know a showcase company it's called uh new ball jobs and uh We've just finished our second showcase, uh, and it's just been so, so successful so far. And, uh, you know, the talent that we've seen is, is so special and, uh, just being able to try and help these guys. And we've helped about, I'd say close to 20 guys, uh, get signed. And, and these are, these are players that would never get an opportunity anywhere else. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's been pretty cool to be in that position to, to give these guys these opportunities. So this is something to, for you guys that are listening, for, for you college guys or, or guys that are free agents uh, that are having a difficult time trying to get signed and trying to get your foot in the door, please check out Indie Ball Jobs. Uh, we'll have two or three events coming up uh, following the new year. And, uh, you know, it's just something that we're trying to build. And uh, and we're trying to just get you guys all the opportunities that, that we can. And, uh, you know, and we love doing it. And we're, we're having a blast doing it. So Indie Ball uh, Jobs and... Uh, yeah, that's about it, guys, and, and, and I just appreciate the time, and, and for everybody listening, I appreciate your time listening, and, uh, you know, you can always find me on uh, on, on Instagram, and that's 8.p.gonzalez, or uh, at Indie Ball Jobs, and, uh, you know, you guys could always reach reach out to me, and then anything that we can do to help, or if you want to hear stories, or whatever the case is, uh, um, that's what we'll be, so I appreciate you guys, thank you. Oh, no, the pleasure was all ours. I mean, we, we definitely enjoyed talking to you here. I, I was totally remiss to not mention how the tryout went last week, the showcase <laughs> that you had. So I'm, I'm appreciative you brought that up, which now that I thought of it, how did it go last week? <laughs> well, it was, it was, it was just tremendous. Uh, you know, we were able to sign, uh, one guy on the spot, Liam Scaffariello, who was, uh, actually with me in, in Rockland and with me in Indiana. We won yeah. a championship together and he's grown so much as, as a professional and, I'm just so so proud of him, so happy for him that that Jamie is able to give him this opportunity and take a chance on him. Uh, and yeah. we're in the works right now. We have about five or six guys that I'm pretty confident that we'll get signed in the next few weeks or so. And then, you know, we do have some bubble guys that that were there that that could be those guys that get an opportunity just for a weekend or a spot start or whatever the case is, and and do well and and kind of control their own destiny from there. And uh, you know, that's what it's all about. So it was it was definitely a big success and. I was so, so uh, happy with the talent level that was there. Uh, you know, I see myself in a lot of those guys and, and, uh, you know, and what I told those guys is just for them being there, they're, they're investing in, in the next generation as well. 
So, you know, we're going to continue to showcase for as long as we can and, and see how many guys we, we can help out. And, and, you know, hopefully some of these guys, you know, we've had two or three of them get affiliate opportunities. So, nice. um, you know, watching them, you know, move up in the ranks has been special. And, uh, uh, we hope to see them in the big leagues one day. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, no, we'll be we'll be sure to promote all that. We'll tag uh, the indie ball jobs and all of that. This is really enjoyable uh, talking to you, man. I, this is a really really fun interview to do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, just want to thank AP for coming on the show. We definitely appreciate him. Definitely welcome to have him back on in the future. Definitely, if you're a ball player looking for an opportunity, definitely get in contact with him. You just heard it the plugs for where you can you know get in contact with them on social media also that indie ball jobs is definitely an area you're going to want to hit up if you're looking for a job in the 2022 season so uh that said i think uh the interview pretty much spoke for itself not sure if we wanted to just touch on anything there quickly or we just want to get to the plugs and get out of here because i'm sure at this point we're running a little bit longer than usual yeah I, I think that I really appreciate him, um, Albert, coming on the show. Uh, I had a lot of fun conducting the interview um, and certainly would love to have him back on at, at some point. I think that's all that's really left to say. Yeah, definitely there. And we have another interview coming to you next week. We are talking to Eric Scheffler from the newly minted Staten Island Fairy Hawks. We're going to talk everything and anything uh, Fairy Hawk baseball related. We're going to try and get a little bit into what else the, the ballpark's going to be used for as well. And the whole nine really associated with Stant Island as a whole. So if you do happen to listen to this over the weekend, day of release, meaning Saturday, or the day before uh, we do the interview, meaning Sunday, uh, be sure to get your questions to us and we'll try to get them in. If you have anything pressing or any area you really want tackled, we could try and, and uh, get that asked. But you're only going to have about uh, 36 hours to do that. And that's only if you're really listening day of release. So uh, that said, you'll hear our interview with Eric Scheffler from the Staten Island Ferry Hawks next week. Uh, same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, that being said, uh, we'll go to the plugs now and then we will get out of here. <clears throat> if you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod. You can do so on Instagram at ALPB underscore news or IndieBallReport. Be sure to send those questions in for the Q&A episode. We are like two, maybe three weeks away from that one. So you're definitely going to want to make sure you send those in so that way we can get going on those questions for you. Uh, that being said, uh, you can also find our show notes and other forms of contact as well as all our episodes and all our articles that we put up, mainly the ones, you know, they first get released on social media, then they go on to the website after that. Uh, you can find all that on IndieBallReport.com. So be sure to check all of that out. And then don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you can find the show, which is pretty much anywhere. Uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podomatic, iHeartRadio, uh, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or like I said, just about any major podcatcher you can find the show. So be sure to do all of that. And with that said, do we have anything else left to add this week? Um, <clears throat> hmm. No, I should have thought thought of this. Uh, I do the, the same Devils thing. are the, the the Devils aren't good anymore. Well. That's not good. Um, and. Oh, now I know. Okay, uh, never mind. How did how did I knock at this? Yeah, Rob I know. Ban, Rob Banfred is so bad 
And, like, because obviously the MLB lockout started. That's not too much of a surprise. Yeah, that's uh, expected at this point. To to anyone. But the man says some things that are so... And I understand he speaks for the owners. And he can't just say, the owners are bad. And, like, I, I understand that he can't say that. Um, so, let's just say that... Um, there's a couple things in particular that he says that are just so inconceivably dumb and out of touch. For example, um, he said, and I tweeted about this the other day, when he said, quote, the most, ne- because it, the players want to have uh, less service time, they want to be able to get to free agency earlier than the current six year service time. Um, which, uh, which I think I do think this should happen. I think there should be some sort of compromise uh, to get to that point um, to help with service time manipulation. But anyway, Rob Manfred said the most, and I quote: "The most negative reaction we have is when a player leaves in free agency. Making that available earlier, we don't see that as a positive." So let me get something straight: it hurts the sport when players leave in free agency. That's literally like a 1970s take. When, like, both, like, pre-Kurt Flood, and, like, when there was, like, the reserve clause where, uh, where you couldn't leave your team that you were drafted by unless you were traded, because there was no free agency back then. Uh, and, like, you couldn't leave unless you were cut, unless you were traded. Like, that is such an, that is such a stupid, Thing to say. Well, I agree that, that 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 whole theory is stupid. I do see where he's coming from in the sense of from an owner perspective, losing a young star that you've been marketing for like the past six years or so, it definitely is not a positive there. And I could see how, let's say you're a Nats fan, how losing, say, a Bryce Harper, then a Max Scherzer, and then not too long after that, a Juan Soto definitely is not a positive if you're a Nats fan. That being said, whatever team's acquiring them through free agency is definitely a positive, so I still think it's a net positive for the sport. That's my point. Yeah, I I still think it's a net positive, so I agree with you there, but I see where he's coming from on that point, I will say. I I just think that when you... I, I just think, like, okay, a guy leaves in free agency, that's bad for that organization. You're right. But whose fault is that, that they didn't extend him? The Rays extended Wander Franco. Uh, I mean, the Braves extended Ronald Acuna early. The Padres extended Fernando Tatis early. Yeah. I mean, like, there's, at the end of the day, if you don't, if, if you're, a, if you're a fan and you're upset about a player leaving in free agency, talk to the people that didn't extend him earlier. And mm. so, um, and I agree, like, when there's, when there's one fan base who's upset about a player leaving in free agency, I know this is probably difficult for him to wrap his head around, but there's another fan base that's excited about acquiring him. So I, I just think it was a stupid thing to say. He other said dumb things, for example, like uh, when asked about um, is there, like, are, are players still able to have access to mental health counselors? Uh, during the lockout, because the NHL notably, uh, in their last lockout, I believe, wh- what year was that, Nick? 2010? It would have been, I think, the 11-12 season. 11-12, okay. Yeah, 11-12 so, when, right. like, during that NHL lockout, the league made an exception 
Manfred that players were still able to meet with mental health counselors. The reporter asked Rob Manfred, are you guys going to do that for the MLB? And he basically said, that's a legal thing that we can't get into. Uh, so I just, he's just the worst, the absolute worst. And the game made so many strides this year. Uh, the, the TV ratings were up. It was up among younger demographics. I think it was going in the right direction until this nonsense that is going to dominate the news cycle for the next two months. So uh, it's frustrating, and I just don't like Rob Manfred at all. And that and that doesn't even begin to what I, I to the things that I think he's done um, to to indie ball, which I won't yeah. even get into that because we'll be gone for a while. But not a not a Rob big Rob Manfred guy. Oh, don't worry, we'll get into how the lockout affects indie ball and all of that. Probably, if not next week probably the week after depends which week we don't have an interview and we're not doing the q a on sure that, that really is where it comes down to there but uh yeah piece of metal commissioner is not great um regardless of that <laughs> yeah i knew it so stupid it's just a piece of metal don't worry about it such uh, an idiot <laughs> uh you know, and in other news baseball news i'm excited the mets signed indie ball legend max scherzer so uh, I'm still hey. riding that high. Hey, and, hey, the Red Sox signed indie ball legend Rich Hill. That's uh, okay. That reminds me. That is actually something I do want to bring up because we do have enough time. Like, no, we really don't. But I do want to get into this right now real quick. I put up the poll right now and I'm going to check it literally on air because there should be like three, four hours left in it because the Atlantic League keeps promoting the fact that Rich Hill is in the Atlantic League. So I really want to know. Is Rich Hill the most famous Atlantic League player? Obviously not best player, because that undisputedly goes to Ricky Henderson. But as far as most famous in that they're promoted the most, they're the most well-known player, is that the case? As far as guys that made the big leagues after um, after playing in the Atlantic League? Yeah. Or just no wait. Like the, did Tim did Tim Raines go back though after? I playing? don't think Tim Raines did. Um, but yeah, just as far as the player that was in the Atlantic League for any sort of notable amount of time, and was also you know I think was famous either before, after, or during, because they just keep promoting Rich Hill. And currently, in case anyone's wondering, forty eight forty eight people said yes, fourteen people said no. In that poll, that Rich Hill is the most famous. Although I had two other fun answers to that. I had one person say Brandon Phillips, and the other person say uh, K-Rod. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Rich Hill's definitely not the best player to play in the Atlanta. Oh, absolutely. No one's going to argue that. So, but as far as guys that maybe... Are the he, most well-known, I think. That, sure, you could you could make an argument that like they're known for their Atlantic League stint. Like Ricky Henderson's yeah. not known for his Atlantic League stint with the Newark Bears. Yeah, Ricky's known for you know being Ricky, and uh, yes. you know there's there's value in that. Right. Mr. Third Person is you know just a great character in general, but yeah, like I just I personally think Brandon Phillips should not even be in the conversation. He played like half a season and he owns a team. Okay, that's not really you know. Um, obviously, you know, Rich Hill is also not Mr. Atlantic League. That undisputably goes to Lou Ford because, I mean, he's Lou Ford. But, like, as far as, like, relationship drawn, I think it has to kind of be Rich Hill. Because, I mean, 
you don't mention Rich Hell without mentioning he went to Indie Ball and revived his career. And that's exactly why they keep promoting him like that, because it, he did exactly what the Atlantic League wants him to do. And, like, I get why they're doing it, but, man, can we start promoting other people just besides Rich Hell? That's all I'm asking. That's fair. That's all I'm going to ask for, but, uh, you know, that, that's all I got to add. Also, very thankful the Mets announced that Scherzer's going to wear 21 before the lockout, so now all those knockoffs coming from China and everywhere else in the world can start getting made. I pre- definitely appreciate that. <laughs> Can't buy official during the lockout, but you know I damn well can buy knockoffs. That's right. Uh, so, love that they did that. Uh, with that said, I don't think we got anything else left to add. A little bit of a longer episode, but they're not bad, especially when you got an interview. So until next time, don't forget to play ball.